men commit and then bond in only one way. And that is through making a decision. Sick of sacrificing or settling in your romantic life? Welcome to Make Him Wonder with Coach Paula Grooms, where women struggling in real relationships ask the expert. Unscripted, unfiltered, understandable coaching conversations to help passionate women succeed in love. Hi there, and welcome to Make Him Wonder. I'm your host, Coach Paula, a dating and relationship coach, licensed social worker, and author of the book, Why Won't He Commit? How a Man Decides to Make You the One. Well, we're still in a bit of our lockdown, so to speak. Things are across the country at various stages. And again, as you all know, I'm in New York City, still pretty locked down. Now, mind you, uh, when we do these recordings, they are typically two, three weeks out, sometimes longer. But right now, as we are recording, things are still mm, isolated. And it's definitely still feeling isolated without um, much of a difference. It's just that there is some semblance of or feeling of light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I'm going to have my guest today talk a little bit about where she is and about that. She is 36-year-old Rachel. And she is dating 28-year-old Brad. Rachel is divorced and believes she may intentionally be dating the wrong men so she won't have to get remarried. She feels she has it all right now, a successful career in her own home, but that deep down she might be scared of remarrying, yet she loves being in a relationship. Rachel wants to explore reconciling her conflicting desires to be free, yet to be in a completely committed, secure relationship. I really like this topic a lot because so many of us share your feelings, Rachel. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Paula. I really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to do this podcast with you. Excellent. Yes, so many women feel as you do, and I want to get into that, but first I want to touch on if you are okay with sharing where you are in the world and what's going on there vis-a-vis the distancing, the isolating, the getting back, I guess they're calling it like off pause, so to speak, and kind of back to normal. Where are you and what are you experiencing? Well, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we are actually in phase one. So what phase one means is that a lot of retail stores are reopening, a lot of restaurants and bars are reopening, which has been very difficult for some bar owners because they can't make the, they can't move around their bars and the tables, they're stationary there. And so some of them aren't able to reopen, which is really heartbreaking, but We've had some reopen and people are starting to venture out and, you know, have that anxiety and that stress start to diminish. It's still definitely there. 
Um, but I'm, I've been starting to venture out myself, and I think it's very important that we get back to normal as much as we can. And, but also keeping, you know, others safe and your safe, or yourself safe as well. So it's, it's really neat to see that we're finally starting to get that, just like you said, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's really, it's, it's a great thing. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear where you are, that that is happening. I'm looking forward to most of the country getting back to that. And certainly, you know, here in New York City, where we've been the hotspot and epicenter, so to speak, it will be really great to see that happening. And um, we won't even go to all of the, uh, the problems kind of getting into that. I'm just so glad to hear that that is happening. And I'm in complete agreement. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all for getting back safely as quickly as we possibly can. It's going to alleviate so much anxiety. And um, that's part and parcel especially for people who are single it's been a really difficult stretch you i know that i know you're dating brad uh tell us about that and tell us how things have been for you during this time and then also just in general well i mean especially with covid hitting it's it has been very difficult because you know we're ordered at least, you know, for a while, we were ordered to stay at home, and Brad and I were kind of going back and forth. So there was, you know, a period of time where I felt very lonely, and I still do. I feel lonely on and off, but especially during those times is when my my two kids would go to their dads for the weekend. I'm by myself completely in my house, and I can't go anywhere. I can't have any of my friends over, and I also don't have any family that live near me. And so it's very lonely, and it's 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 kind of it's a sad deal. But you know, luckily, like I said, we're moving in. We're into we're into phase one right now, and Brad and I are we're doing good at this moment. But I have a fear that everything's too good to be true. I just do that, and I always think the worst, and it kind of sucks. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned. Tell me what the experience has been in terms of the beginning of your relationship, how you met, and how long you have been together, what your relationship looks like now, kind of, you know, how much you're seeing each other and that kind of thing. Well, it's kind of interesting how we met. I have to take you back just a little bit prior to that. I was actually dating a gentleman that actually lived in New York, so where you're at, and we did the long-distance relationship, and it worked out great. I really thought that he was, I could totally marry him, and I don't, and I feel like the reason why I thought that is because we only saw each other on, like, the good days and the good times because we would visit each other every, like, week or two weeks. He'd fly out to see me. I'd fly out to see him, and when we ended up, we dated for a little over six months. And when we decided that, you know, he wasn't going to move out to see or to live with me and get married, uh, it was devastating and it broke my heart. And I wasn't going to continue the long distance relationship if we didn't have an ending point. And I couldn't move out to see him because of, I have kids and I want my kids' father in their life. So mm-hmm. I wasn't moving. And so during, 
I was still seeing that gentleman or it was fizzing out, this is when Brad came in the picture. So I had already, I didn't have, I didn't take that time to mourn that relationship the way it should have been mourned. And that's kind of my history. I'm always jumping in relationships. I'm always from one relationship to the next. I don't give myself a breather. And I, even though I do try to do this, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't like to be alone. I love being in relationships, but then once it gets serious or they, they, they want to make it to, you know, they want to move to the next level. That's when I start self sabotaging self-sabotaging it and doing something destructive to ruin the relationship. Uh, but the one, the relationship before Brad, that was where I really thought was going to work out. But then I think about it now, I'm like, it was a long distance relationship. Of course it went well. So that's where I, when I mentioned that I tend to date guys that in the long run, I know that may not work. And so Brad and I, we met through mutual friends and I, he knew my situation. He, he knew I was coming out of a breakup. So I was completely honest with him from the get go, but I think he is a helper. I think he saw that I was in distress, that I was somewhat depressed and I think he wanted to help me. And that just turned into a relationship and it obviously started off really rocky because I'd have moments where I have breakdowns because I missed this other person, but then I was with Brad. And so I give it to the man, Brad, for sticking with me because I was a mess. For all, I mean, I still have that for a really long time. And so I keep that in the back of my mind that he's not a quitter. And that is very attractive to me that he doesn't just give up and he doesn't quit. He's a fighter. And that's what I'd always say. I want a fighter. I want a fighter because this prior gentleman that I was with wasn't a fighter. And that was super attractive to me. So we went through these highs and these lows. Um, just recently, it just seemed like he stepped his game up. He started really putting himself out there. He, he would help me with chores around the house, um, especially being in isolation. Just recently, he would help me build things outside. Me being a single mom, it's really hard to give my kids the attention that they need and also get, you know, a lot of yard work done or things around the house. And so he's just really stepped his game up, um, especially for his age because we have an eight-year gap. That is kind of, you know, a concern to me. It scares me a little bit. Is he mature enough for a relationship? But then I look at myself and I'm like, I'm a mess. <laughs> so kind of that, you know, like that's where we're at right now. I, he's such a great person. His oh, he's just he's an honest man. Um, I know that, and we're both. I don't know if you believe in this stuff, but we're both Tauruses, so we're both stubborn at times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we tend to butt heads, but we're, we when we love, we love, and when we fight, we fight, and it's mm -hmm. it's very passionate. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, re it's a different relationship. I've never been in a relationship like this. I've, it's kind of like I'm almost dating myself, <laughs> which I'm like, I don't know if is that a good thing or a bad thing. It's definitely right. that there's never a dull moment. And I, yeah, so I, I'm nervous and he wants more kids obviously, cause he's never had kids. He's never been married. 
I believe that this is probably his most serious relationship he's ever had. Obviously, I've been through uh, a ton of relationships and all married prior to this. I've only been divorced for almost two years. No, I've I've only been divorced for about a year now, but I was separated two years prior to that. So about two and a half years I've been somewhat single, um, married-wise. And so it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous because he's ready to commit. He's ready to get married. He's ready to start having kids right away, and it's scaring me. Okay. And I'm scared that I'm going to pick the wrong person again. Ah, okay. How long have the two of you been together since you first met? Since we first met, it has been a, about, it's going on nine months. And when did he start stepping it up as you started feeling? I feel like the last month, really, he has. I've seen... It was almost like he's bringing stuff to the table now, you know, because he is, he just got his master's degree. Um, he, he, ha, he is working, uh, but he doesn't have like that successful CEO job. And that makes me nervous because I'm, I'm a very successful person. I can take care of me and my kid by myself, but you know, it's attractive for, to date someone that, is financially secure and I'm not saying that I'm all about money I'm really not at all it does make me nervous that he's just now kind of starting out because he just graduated he got his master's like he's ready to go do all this but it doesn't it that is in the back of my mind okay so I'm hearing the almost self-imposed anxiety that comes with something really good and Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is when things are really good we can have as much if not more anxiety as when things are chaotic or drama filled or not very good simply because there's much more of a risk in terms of losing it and then also that it feels almost foreign, different, and unknown. Is that at all true for you? Uh, <laughs> I feel like you're, you're getting there for sure. Uh, like I told you, I feel like I self-sabotage sometimes when everything is going really great. I start stressing about things that I probably shouldn't stress about, and I... I don't know if that has something to do, um, if if there's something deeper there that I've never really opened. Uh, I feel like this would help with my story, so I'm just going to tell the listeners this. But, um, you know, I I, I come from a divorced family, so I've always seen marriages failed. I've always seen relationships failed. Uh, my dad and my, my parents got divorced when I was five and my mom left. And so my dad raised us kids. There was five of us, three left at home. And so I think I have some issues there. I have some, and that's probably the reason why I don't like being alone. Mm. Um, I, so I, I don't know. So I don't, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that sure. has something to do with the way I am. am I'm in relationships. 
Sure, absolutely, because that's where we get our almost, um, not our hardwiring. In other words, we're born with what we would consider our hardwiring, but it's, um, what's the other part of it? It's, it's like the software. In other words, your mm -hmm. software is very uh, attuned to that feeling of um, anxiety that comes with not knowing and even we could go out on a limb and say abandonment in some ways. For example, how much did you see your mom after she left at the age of five? She got custody of me in the summers, and I would go and visit her. I would stay at her house in the summers. She didn't live close by. When, she, when they divorced, she moved away. And so it's not like I could just go see her on the weekends. It was I had to wait till the summer, and that was about two months at a time. And as I got older, I stopped going. And my parents put me in the middle and made me always feel guilty as a child if I loved one or over the other or if I wanted to be with that parent mm. they would make me feel guilty so I have a lot of guilt as well mm -hmm. which <laughs> yeah it plays into I mean it I love my parents but yeah 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 it plays into it for sure because you know we're talking about it as two adults here with the rationality of okay two people get divorced and one has to have custody and the other doesn't. And then you visit the other one and, uh, yes, all makes sense. But to the mind of a five-year-old, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And it's always at that age, always interpreted through the lens of this is something I did. And that comes from no rational place, of course, because five-year-olds cannot be expected to have the rational mind of even a 12-year-old, right? I mean, it's, it's completely different developmentally at five than it would have been had uh, your parents split when you were 12 or 13. A whole host of other things come with that, but at five there was no way for you to wrap your mind around that other than this has something to do with me. It's just a natural normative developmental thing for children and very, very difficult. So those kinds of issues definitely come into play because it's kind of like the software as we talked about. And that's going to be playing in the background in some way, shape or form always, of course, colored by the experiences you have as an adult in the rational form, but they're definitely there. So we can feel them vis-a-vis -vis close, intimate relationships, mostly a partner, they come out. So when you said you feel yourself self-sabotaging in a way, can, can you give us an example? Can you think of anything that would be a good example of something that you felt you were starting to self-sabotage? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, if I'm having, a, you know, a great day and everything's going great, he's having a great day, and if he's, he's if, if he says, oh, I'm going to be like 10 minutes late, which is really not a, a big deal any other day, but on that day particular, if I'm starting to doubt myself, doubt, doubt the relationship, I'll be like, 
well, don't even come over then. Like, I, it's almost like I'm this five-year-old again, like just acting like a child. And I get so mad at myself that I do this. I hate it. But sometimes I act like a child. And I don't understand why I just all of a sudden flip a switch like that. And then it starts a fight, and then we don't see each other the rest of the day. And then I'm, I've always been this type of person where we'll fight, and then I, like, immediately feel sorry. And then I go and apologize. I'm always that person. I mean, as I should, but I shouldn't be picking the fight in the first place. So that's how I start to self-sabotaging. And, I'm, and then all of a sudden it gets very, it gets more often that I'm doing this. And the next I know it, then we're done. We break up. And then I move on to the next person. Mm-hmm. That is, I can't tell you, that's such a great example of what yeah. we're talking about. And the fact that you recognize it is tremendous because without the recognition that you're doing it, you can't ever set about fixing it. So that's always the first step and it's the biggest step. So you've taken that biggest step in the recognition. And when you think about it, just the way you said it, it's like I'm five again. Because when you were five, what you just said came into play. These things would happen, and then you were made to feel guilty for them. Now, that's again, as the five-year-old felt it, right? In other words, you were going to feel guilty regardless of what your parents did because there's no rationality, and they couldn't really make you understand any of it. But again, they probably were doing things to exacerbate the feeling, not to comfort the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense because we almost always, without working on it, revert to the known and that kind of software like we talked about regardless of it being a good thing even when it produces negative results we still revert to it that's natural and normal even though it's not as functional as it could be right yeah the thing I don't understand is I it's almost like I know what is wrong I know what I do is wrong but I still do it. And I'm like, why do I do that? Like, I know right before I start this fight, it's wrong. But then I can't help myself. And I do it anyways. It's self-protection. Hmm. Yeah. In other words, if you are getting closer and closer and things are going well, right? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, how like long do you go before something like this happens and you do something like this? Is it, you know, a few days, a week? Is it when your things are going really well that you do it? Well, whenever I start a new relationship, it always tends to move really quickly. Um, so I would say I probably a month or two into it is when I, I start to see myself doing those little um, self, self-sabotaging moves that I'm doing, the starting the fights. And it's just, and it increases as time goes. And so I would say, yeah, I would say about a month or two. Mm-hmm. And it's because the closer you become, 
the longer you're in a relationship, the more you have to lose if it should end, right? Correct. Ironically, that you want to be the one that precipitates it so that it doesn't happen to you. And actually these attempts at, and what you're calling self-sabotage is actually to, it, it, it's, it's actually brilliant when we think about why we do these things and the way we do them, is to keep you from experiencing that just such deep hurt that you did at five. In other words, that was done to you and you had not one ounce of control, correct, at five years old? Correct. You didn't have a pinhead's worth of control. Everything was done without your approval, even your um, opinion, correct? Yeah. It wasn't like anyone came to you and said, Mommy and Daddy are thinking of this. How will you feel? Right? No. Yeah, nothing like that. Everything was just done to you, and the world was a big, open, almost scary place of the unknown, because at five, we know nothing, right, other than our home environment, to a great degree. And the rug was pulled out from under you with absolutely not one ounce of your control. So as an adult, psychologically, you don't ever want to be put in that place again. And I can imagine that the breakup with the guy before Brad was just awful for you. It was it was devastating. It, I cried over that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and cried over that more than I did my 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 marriage. I I I'm, I got married, and that's a whole nother <laughs> reason why I got married. That's a whole nother podcast. But I wasn't actually in love with the man that I married, and I really felt like I I had a lot of love for this gentleman mm. prior to Brad. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't love Brad, I feel like I love him for his different ways. I feel like I love him in a different way. I felt like I love this, this guy prior to Brad more in a careless fun way. Mm-hmm, um, right. I enjoyed how this guy made me feel like the, he brought out the fun, the fun Rachel. Mm-hmm. And it, yep. it's just, they both brought different things to the table. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was, uh, I, I hadn't felt that much pain in a long time. Right. Right. And when someone is showing you that he's, I don't know if you had a chance to read my book, but when someone is showing you that he's a potential buyer, like Brad seems to be, meaning that he is telling you or talking about the possibility of you guys going into the future together and possibly marrying? Yes. So that's going to bring up a whole host of things for you vis-a-vis, just like you talked about. 
am I capable of that? Um, also, simply because you were recently in something where you felt that kind of deep, unfiltered, unabiding, almost kind of abandoned, um, like with free abandon type of love, you're going to have conflict about this. Do you love him in the right way, right? Do you, is it enough? Will it mm -hmm. be able to sustain itself? Um, all of that. Then, of course, there are children involved. There's a whole host of things that are going to come up. And then most importantly, this issue of uh, can I really trust and get that close to anyone? Because when I did at five, because just that's what happens from uh, being born to the age of five, you are bonded to your parents. And then when they let you down in that way, specifically your mother... Mm -hmm. it creates a trust issue that you are now working on and that's going to bode well for you because basically it all comes down to that. The lack of real trust, because I bet if you were to dig really deep down, you might be thinking, what's really going on with Brad? There's got to be something there that is just not, mm, you're questioning, right? What mm -hmm. is it, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like I, and he's, he's mentioned this in indirectly way that along the lines, I'm basically his first love which kind of scares me a little bit. He hasn't had the dating experiences I have had, not saying that any of them really lasted or were successful, <laughs> but we all take certain things and learn from certain relationships, what we like, what we don't. And that's another thing that scares me Him being so much younger is, is he going to get to a point in his life where he's like, I don't want this anymore. Uh -huh. I've grown I've grown out of this because we do change. We change as the years go. We you know, we need to keep evolving in our marriage, which I think and not that I have the crazy experience because obviously I have a failed marriage, but I think it's important to realize that you tend to you can possibly grow apart even though you're married. Doesn't mean because you're married that you guys are going to have the same love the entire time you're married. And that's what another thing, digging deep here, Paula, <laughs> another thing I think about is he's going to get to a point. It's like, oh, she's eight years older than me. I can get, obviously, you know, he's a very good looking man. He has a lot going for him. I know he's going to be successful, but, you know, is he going to get sick of me? Is he going to get tired of me? Is he going to get tired of my BS? Like, I, I worry about that because I don't want to disappoint them either because, for the most part, I'm, I am a very trustworthy and caring and kind person. So I don't want to disappoint them as well. Got it. And I am going to address that issue of the marriage vis-a-vis -vis his age and his saying that you are his first love. 
I'm going to do that in just a moment. Are you looking for your Mr. Right online? If so, you want to be approaching online dating in a way that produces the right results for you. Start by taking a free evaluation to test your skills and you'll receive immediate results. Go to theonelovedatingtest.com. That's theonelovedatingtest.com. Don't wait because Mr. Right is waiting to meet you. theonelovedatingtest.com. So back with Rachel, uh, I love that you really outlined uh, so much very clearly about what's happening for you vis-a-vis this relationship with Brad. The fact that you will likely be looking for things that will, in essence, be the other shoe that drops, right? What can go Correct. wrong? Yeah. You know that that makes a lot of sense given what you experienced as a child, right? And what you've carried into relationships. And the fact that your relationships heretofore have failed, correct? Correct. Or at least ended. Even if we can say, okay, may not be a failure. It's not a failure when you have a relationship and you realize this isn't going to work. Making that decision to get out of it then is a proper thing. It's not really a failure, right? But they ended. And what I'm hearing is that you want for yourself to be in a committed long-term marriage where you go into it with the knowledge that you're going to do absolutely everything to make it work and it and that it will have an excellent chance of going the distance, right? Correct. Yes. You're right about a number of things. The love changes. And in order to keep the semblance of romantic love and not have it morph into just familial love, which can happen throughout the years, that takes work. It takes intention for it not to. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm hearing. In terms of Brad, the man, I want to address something that you brought up that's really, really important that because he has not had another love, so to speak, a great love, a deep love that he was ready to commit to, you're circumspect of this one lasting. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Very, very important point here that I wanna make. For those of you who have not read my book, or have not listened to these podcasts, I just want to give a brief kind of primer almost on something fundamental about men. And that is that men commit and then bond in only one way. And that is through making a decision. 
you know, if you've heard me at all or if you've read the book, that women relate via their emotions, men relate via their decisions. And this is vis-a-vis my puppy principle. In short, we as women love all puppies, whether it's a little pit bull or a little Pekinese or a big standard poodle. We love them all, big, small, short, tall. There's something about each and every one of them that we love, and we love the feeling when we're around them. They just make us feel good, keep us in the moment. They're just joyous in most always. Even when they're a, a brat of a little doggy that tears up your shoes, you still love it. So we love them all. But when we go to adopt, we have to be in the state of being where we are ready, willing, and able to take on the responsibility to and for a puppy. When we get there and we say, okay, I've got my finances in order, I'm done with my education, I have the job I want, I'm ready with my environment to get a puppy, we have to pick from all the wonderful puppies that there are, pick one, And through deciding, we then commit and start to bond. And the bonding happens vis-a-vis the commitment born out of the decision. This is what happens for men. Because they love us all in one way, shape, or form. They love all women big, small, short, tall. They may have a particular type that they love more than others or desire more than others, but they still must make a decision to take on the responsibility to and for a particular woman to then kind of eschew all others. This decision is vital. And what I'm hearing is that Brad is getting to that decision if he hasn't already made that. What this means is it does not matter at all whether or not he has quote-unquote adopted before. It makes absolutely no difference Mm. for everybody out there. It doesn't make a difference um, in terms of, um, I want to get this right for you. It also doesn't make a difference in terms of time. Because the man can make the decision very quickly. What matters most is, is understanding, figuring out, and really getting to the core of Is it a real decision with the foundation under that decision? That's what matters. And just like with us, making the decision to adopt a pet, we're all on a scale. Some people are actually kind of 
flippant about it, some women, about a puppy. Oh, I want a puppy, and uh, I've got a backyard, and, you know, I've got enough money for Alpo, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be in the house, so I'll just get a a doghouse outside. I'll go to the pound today, pick up a doggy that needs a good home, and he's good to go. That's on one end of the scale, all the way to the other end of the scale that, no, I must have $10,000 in the bank in case something goes wrong and he needs a surgery. I must be able to buy the wonderful poochie collar (laughs) and be uh, giving him the absolute best food that is delivered once a week and that's fresh. We're on a scale. Somewhere in there, we all fall in terms of adopting a puppy, right? In other words, making it extremely important to do it in a particular way or pretty lackadaisical about it. So it's finding out to the degree of his decision, and right now I'm hearing commitment to that decision. Well, I mean, if he had it his way we would have been engaged dating after a month or two. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it was insane to me. I was like, how could you even think about marrying someone like me when I'm clearly <laughs> um, all just completely out of my mind sometimes with what I'm going through. I obviously am going through a lot, like with, you know, being a single parent, having two young kids and just getting over a horrible breakup. Like how could you, that's why I'm like, now I'm questioning, like, are you sane? <laughs> you know, but is it really love? I mean, I'm starting to feel like it is because he stuck around, you know, this far. And I've really put him through the ringer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, I don't because know. <laughs> he, because it is like that. In other words, um, I don't know if you have a pet, uh, but some people, when they're ready and they say, I want to adopt a doggy, and everybody around them is saying, that's crazy. You are, um, you're traveling on business all the time. Uh, You have this apartment. You don't even have your own home. They're going to give you all manner of reasons why you should not adopt, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have met that puppy and you say, I want that puppy, you fall in love with it, you are going to make it work for yourself and you are going to do whatever is needed to make it work. You see? Mm-hmm. Now, okay. some people there, it may override, right? But see, he's in the state of being ready, willing, and able and then the last thing that must happen, because there's five criteria in my book of what makes a buyer rather than just a consumer. Consumer is not in the state of being ready, willing, and able to take on the responsibility that men see commitment as being. One of the criteria, of course, that he must be in love. He fell in love quickly. That doesn't mean it's shallow just because it's quick and here's what I'm hearing you did which is good over time you vetted him to see if that's real or not Mm -hmm. you said you've been testing him yep 
and he keeps showing um, you that it's real, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. He's not. I mean, if I was him, I would have left a while ago. <laughs> Can you say that again? I said, if I was him, I would have been gone a while ago. Like, I mean, I probably would have never even like got involved with me if I was him. Yes, but here's the deal that's different between men and women. You were not all in in the beginning. Nothing is more enticing to the man of winning that love, winning your time, attention, and affection. You see? That's okay. what made him fall. It is through wondering that the man falls in love. And he kept having to wonder if that would ever happen. And by proving himself, he fell deeper and deeper. So what I'm hearing, I don't question that part of it. And as a woman, you really don't, when the man is showing you, none of that prior history matters because here's what happens for men is that if he is and I trust what you're saying he's good looking he's got lots going for him he has likely had women in his life who have not made it so that he was wondering where he did not have to prove himself and win the love when a man doesn't have that, he doesn't have a chance of falling deep, deeply falling. In other words, he might feel, nah, okay, I'm with her and it's okay. And he might have had girlfriends, but it is not to the level that what happened with you. All that happened actually helped make him fall in love. You see? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've never even thought about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. Yes. So, and that is all in my book to help women understand how different it is for men in terms of loving. We love through knowing. They love through wondering. And those mm. little things that are happening that you want to start catching yourself about doing, like it's 10 minutes and you know the 10 minutes doesn't really matter, but it triggers you, right? It triggers yes. all that anxiety and that comes out in the adult form of, I have control of this, so forget it. Don't come, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all that happens. And you can start working on changing that. But first, you must trust him. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to allow yourself to catch yourself when you start doing this stuff. The trust has to be there. And he's not showing you any reason to distrust him, right? No, nothing at all. Yeah. It's all coming from, of course, your past experience. So it is 
that stepping into the trust that will help you to switch up and not hair trigger jump to something like you've been doing, such as that great example of being 10 minutes late and then, well, just don't come. I Speaking of trust, I have a question for you. This kind of blows, this, this baffles me. Why is it that I can't get to that point or I haven't been able to get to that point yet with Brad and trust him, even though he has showed me over and over that I can trust him. He's never given me any doubt not to trust him. But the relationship prior to him, the one where I really felt like I was actually in love for the first time in my entire existence, I completely trusted him. And from an outsider's perspective, an outsider looking in, people would be like, I can't believe that you could trust him because he was, you know, he was well off. He was a very good looking guy. He was an athlete. I mean, he had women around him, women wanting him all the time. Um, But I just, for some reason, just never would think, and I'm not saying that he did anything, a cheat or anything. I don't, I mean, if he did, I don't know, but. I completely trust him living millions and millions of miles away from me, knowing how sought after he was. And everybody told me I should run, but why did, I don't understand why would I trust him Mm -hmm. opposed to someone that is so validating. I was never validated in my prior relationship. And so I'm just, am I really just messed up? No, (laughs) no. It so makes sense. It's so, so makes sense. When we have not been given unconditional, secure love up until a certain age, especially, it lays a foundation of two things. One is, of course, not trusting anything around us. Because if you cannot trust with your emotions as well as your well-being. In other words, you were fed, you were clothed, you were cared for, right? Nobody neglected you, right? So you think, well, why did I feel this way, right? Because again, this is the child's perception of it all that there there was no foundation of trust in the world. The day your mom left, all of that went with her. Okay? So what happens is that as an adult, we try to actually create situations whereby we will continually replay those things. That feels even if it's dysfunctional, it feels known and even when emotionally fraught with all kinds of insecurities, deep, deep down, it is known and actually has a component of being comforting. So it's almost, if you can think of it this way, you were trusting the known. You were trusting the known feeling of 
um, questioning love, questioning security, and desiring being noticed and loved and wanted because that felt known. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, that's a... It's deep, right? It's kind of heavy, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's definitely a way of looking at it, for sure. Yes. In, in psychological circles, it's pretty, pretty standard that we do that. It's why when we tend to replicate... No matter our rationality about it and our understanding, we tend to replicate the experience of when we were young, good or bad. It is why when someone grows up with an alcoholic parent, what do they say? I will never be with an alcoholic, right? Mm -hmm. What tends to happen if not a lot of work is done around that? They fall in love with an alcoholic. And why is that? It's known. Doesn't mean it's functional. Doesn't mean it's, it's very good necessarily, but it is known. And we're attempting to work out as an adult what we had no control over and couldn't work out as children. So it stands to reason why that feeling for this person who wasn't with you makes perfect sense that it was a long distance kind of thing because you were longing for him a lot of the time, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what you did at five? No matter what parents Mm -hmm. you were with, you were longing for the other. Now, you're not going to remember that in a way, right, that is, but psychologically, it's deeply embedded. Mm -hmm. And that's why. So you are going to question, and this is where the trust comes in, you're going to question about this person who is showing you kind of unconditional, unconflicted love and that who's there for you. It's kind of like, what's up with that, right? <laughs> yeah, this isn't normal. What is- yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you really want? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. There, it, therein lies the mistrust of like, hmm, this can't be right or real, right? Something's got to mm-hmm. give. So you will go to the places of like of what we just talked about. Well, he's eight years younger, so this can't last. Or he hasn't had a um, significant love in the past, so how is that going to last? Because if we marry, then he's going to want another experience or whatever, right? You're going to go to those places. To Because what we do is we have a, um, like a, what we call like a schema. And the schema for you is that Unconditional love whereby somebody doesn't abandon you is not a reality. So when we have a schema, what we do is we tend to look at the world through the lens of that, and then we keep proving to ourselves that our schema and way of thinking is true. Correct. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, right? This is... (laughs) Right? (laughs) This is crazy. It's crazy how... Yeah, but I it's, just, but I it's just not, it right? Alone. It's not crazy. It's not. Either, I mean, right? No, once you break it down and put every, everything in perspective, it's like, how could I not see this? You, the way you're describing it and bringing it, you know, up, it's crazy to me. You know, it's very hard for us to see the forest for the trees, but yet you were you were right there starting to see the trees. Yeah. Absolutely. We're starting to see the forest, I mean, right? Mm -hmm. Right there, because you actually, I didn't really tell you anything that you don't know. Because when I say it and it rings true, that means you know it. Yeah. Now, intellectually knowing it, like we said, is just the first step. But that step's got to be there, and you're already there. Then it is working to create a new software program for you. And that takes intention and manifesting new experiences and doing things differently in the relationship to allow that to happen and to not be testing him. Because that's what you're doing now because you're, you have this schema And then you're going to test him and you're testing him to actually prove that your schema is right. Intentionally, you're not trying to do that, but psychologically we do it, right? Mm -hmm. That's what those little jabs are. Then just forget it, right? You're 10 minutes late. Just don't come. That is... Yeah, I want to see if he'll come back. Right, right. That's a test. And you're catching it early, right? Mm-hmm. You're seeing that he's a person and he's not. He doesn't have anything to do. He couldn't be farther removed from your parents, right? Nothing to do with them. No, he's never even met them. Exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely nothing, right? But we all do this. It is a universal. We all do it. And it used to be in um, psychology, it used to be that it was always the opposite sex parent that we were trying to work through the issues. But now it's just whatever parent in which there was that psychological conflict. And again, we don't really know in some senses, what exactly was at play or going on with your parents or what they may even have attempted to do to assuage your feelings of abandonment. We don't really know because no matter what they would have done, it would not have been perceived through that five-year-old's experiential level and developmental level in a way that it could truly be avoided 100%. It yeah. just couldn't. Uh, you know, my last question that is really weighing on me is, do I, I know that I love him. I know that it is a deep love, but it's a, like I said, it's a different type of love what I had prior. It's not the exciting 
it's not the like I get so and I'm not saying this never happens but majority of the time it's like when he comes to my house when he comes over it's like I feel at peace I feel like oh I'm not alone anymore it's comforting it's it's nice having someone there but is it just because I don't want to be alone or is it do I really do love him and that's what that's kind of like my main concern now is is it do I have enough on my part can I I know that he you know especially after everything that you've kind of broken down I really do honestly care I feel like he does love me and I feel like he will be true to me true to me but I'm nervous am I going to lose interest along the way or am I going to get you know is there going to be something that he does that is so little and just doesn't matter but it really bugged me because I'm trying to find something to dwell on and to ruin the relationship and I just don't know if I love him enough and that's what bothers me and I hate that I even think that way I hate it because I know he's a great man and I know that you know he would take my kids under his wing he would do anything for me and he has shown me that he will I hate that that is in the back of my mind and I don't know what to do about it I actually love this question and I love that you are being this open and honest about it because it is naturally going to be here for you. The reason why is that when as that child, you were put in that position of having to be the good child. And when I say having to be the good child, this is all again from the five-year-old's perspective. Remember when I said it's they always interpret what when the parents break up that it's something they did that caused it, right? So... Right. Once the parents do break up, the child then takes on, I've got to be perfect. I've got to not make them mad. I've got to be uh, the perfect child for both of them. If dad wants me to be with him, I need to be with him. If mom wants me to be with her, I need to be with her. And I'm feeling guilty if I should let the other one down. Or it's it's really messes with the child's mind, right? Mm-hmm. Within that comes the lack of feeling that grounded, completely secure, unconditional love. So you are going to be most alive, so to speak, or should I say ignited with your love when you have to be trying to get it, when it's not secure when you are not quite sure of whether or not you have it. That's wow. going to be the most explosive, exciting, that feeling of of oomph in me and passion and all of that is going to be with the man who doesn't give you that feeling of security and being all in. Does that make sense? That's why it intrigues me so much. That's why the, probably why the past relationship 
I just felt like, yeah, just like you said, I, I felt alive in it like every day because it was kind of uncertain. Even though he would tell me all these things, his actions spoke differently. And I was, I always felt uncertain. I never felt completely secure, but I loved the feeling. It yes. was like it, I was on an emotional high. And like that's what scares me is I miss that high. Yes. But you know what? That's the perfect word for it. It is a high. It is a high like no other. And they've actually done brain studies on this kind of thing that we're talking about, whereby this kind of high can be as addictive as heroin because of the brain oh, yeah. chemicals that are released, right? Mm-hmm. It's what makes people do crazy, crazy things in the name of love, right? Oh, yeah. I remember uh, someone said, I can't remember who said it, I mean, but they said the, the same chemical reaction that goes on in the brain of a crazy person is the same one with, in, when they're in love. Crazy and in love is the same thing. Well, it's, it's why we say we're crazy about somebody. Yeah. Those chemicals are natural when we are in uh, any state of being infatuated, for sure. But this, what we are talking about, it takes things to a different level. And it can thwart us from having that secure, completely committed um, relationship that doesn't feel as ignited, that doesn't feel as passionate, that doesn't feel like we're on fire. It can keep mm -hmm. us from that. And here is where in... It's a tricky, tricky thing because you have to really make a decision about it in terms of the pros and cons. In other words, um, listing all of this man's wonderful qualities and what he has shown you, I would dare say that the list of pros on the one side of the page is going to be a lot longer than the list of cons, right? Correct. But that's intellectual. That's not on that deep, fiery feeling, right? So how mm -hmm. do we overcome that in terms of, okay, do I accept a proposal? Do I decide to marry him? Even with, on that side of the page, it's going to say, will be fabulous father to my two children. And Correct father of his own child and will treat my children like his own and blah, 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 right? All these incredible things. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean the feeling will be the same as with this uh, past relationship. Won't feel on fire like that. It's too secure to feel that for you. Correct. Because anything that harkens back to that deep, deep feeling of the five-year-old will be uh, the most compelling, for sure, without question. I have two things about that that I think are very, very helpful. And I want to leave you with those things and give you those things because I think they will be so helpful in this situation in a moment. Want more information on anything you've heard discussed here today? 
Why Won't He Commit? How a Man Decides to Make You the One is available at all major book retailers. Or grab an autographed copy of Coach Paula's groundbreaking bestseller at whywon'thecommit.com. So I want to give you, Rachel, these two things that if you walk away with, I think can be real food for thought for you on this and can help you through time come to maybe a more peaceful place with this so you can actually either have peace with it or come to a decision. And the first one is putting yourself in the mindset of this man, Brad, being worthy of love. And what I mean by that is that good men in the world, while they're out there, we can really be mm, torn from hither to yon with consumers. And if you've had a lot of relationships, you may have had, you know, heartbreak and difficulty and understand that a solid good man like this is truly worthy of love in a way that maybe others have not been in your life. Yeah, I would definitely say he's, he's definitely worthy for sure. And that when you keep in mind and that you come from a place of true loving, because what is real loving? It is not that feeling of being um, on a high. Mm -hmm. That isn't a state of real loving. That's infatuation. It's coupled with all manner of uh, pick me, pick me type of feeling, right? It's not real love. That is, love is, you know, it's strong and it is um, forgiving and all the, the things that are a little bit challenging to us at times, right? Yeah. But that under that lens, you can look at him maybe in a light that would be, wow, is this the man that I want modeling being a man for my children, right? And that can be very, very helpful to you. The second and most important with what we were talking about for most of this podcast and what I relate to very heavily personally and with so many women that I work with is kind of like a 12-step for this, this type of soft wear wiring that you've had it's not unlike a habit like alcoholism or drugs or some kind of um, negative thing in your life that is really meant to be worked on day by day in other words if you think of AA for love so to speak yeah. The addiction of that high, because just like we said, with our brain chemicals, with that kind of man that was like your ex, 
you are feeling this high. And that's not unlike the high of a drug. But what happens with the high of a drug? We eventually have to deal with that. Yeah, it wears off. It wears off. We crash. Um, it can cause serious negative consequences in our life. And if we think about it, there are people who come off of very serious drugs, right? They get clean from, you know, cocaine, heroin, LSD, all manner of drugs. And I revere mm -hmm. those folks because, wow, that's got to be seriously hard. I mean, there's probably nothing quite as difficult to actually conquer. And how do they do that? Each and every day, they make a decision. And sometimes even that's chunked down in the beginning to every moment. I'm not going to reach out to my dealer this moment, this 30 minutes, this hour, this afternoon, right? No matter how bad things get, I'm not going to do that. It comes out of a decision. And this is not unlike that in where we say, I want to not go through that again and I want to have the love of a really good man who can give me a good life and that I can do the same for. That's going to take me kind of getting off the crack, so to speak, which is the high of those other passionate relationships because they eventually do crash and burn. No one sustains them like they do. I mean, do we ever see a, a couple who was in their 90s and they've been married for, you know, uh, 65, 70 years? <laughs> Did they sustain? No. Those <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, no. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, yeah. And um, when we if we are 90, if we make it that far and we look back, what do we want to have had? I mean, you got the experience of that passionate type of thing, right? And mm -hmm. I bet you got the experience in all kinds of different forms if you've had a lot of relationships in your life. Just different forms of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can have it again. It does get tougher as you get older, right? Because each one kind of takes a little chunk out of your soul, right? Mm -hmm. Hard to bounce back from. But it is a choice and you can choose to, to have that or you can say, okay, I'm going to work every day like this is my, this is my AA, so to speak, because of what yeah. happened to me as a kid and how I'm kind of not hardwired, but certainly my software that I've been programmed to have has this in it. So I'm going to need to work to uh, keep updating, <laughs> right? It's like hitting update all Definitely. the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then that can be also, you know, keeping in mind this man is very worthy of love. It's those two things. And again, you have every possibility of making these choices for yourself. And 
and simply you know you will know what is right through time and there is no pressure here to to seal the deal and get married right away in other words if you want to be engaged and he wants to do that and you want to accept mm-hmm. that fantastic but since you've only been divorced signed seal delivered for what two years or a year uh, signed for a year yeah separated yeah. for over two and a half well he may understand that it's not something that you want to you know jump into right away in other words a year of a um a wonderful engagement is not too long right no not at all given the scheme of things um it's especially not now you know it's not long at all and within that time because he's made the decision which is the most important him making that decision he will be um, when he makes that formal decision that's when he begins to bond and then the other part of this of, of course is going to be that work that he cannot help you with that's work on yourself right with vis-a-vis all these things that you're talking about and i have no doubt you're already doing that but it's it's yeah i definitely yeah i i mean i know i recognize it i just i just need to just like you said every day make that decision and not fall prey to my old ways right and and given that you are a mother of two um that can also be i think that's a great thing for us women to have is wanting to do that for them as much as for yourself right of course of course yeah Uh, so that can be you know helpful but i hope this gave you some um stuff to think about because you through all of this i mean it it was just so wonderful the way you discussed it and were open about it and and I have very good thoughts I hold very good thoughts for what's going to come next for you and whatever decision you make it's going to be right for you in the end I have no doubt about well, that you sh- yeah you sure have you know you broke it down to a deeper level which i appreciate so much i i feel like i just saw the superficial like i recognized it but i didn't realize how deep it could go and you really got my wheels turning so i appreciate you taking the time out and you know chatting with me today and breaking it down so that that's pretty cool now that i have something that i feel like i can really work at that's wonderful that is great that is great well, thank you so much again for doing this, and uh, and I look forward in the future to hearing what is happening for the two of you. I really do. I hope you will keep us up to date. I will definitely. Excellent. That's great, Rachel. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation on so many levels because, in a small way, it illustrates the work that I do with women in my programs because we have to always be our best selves 
in a relationship in order to make a relationship the best it can possibly be for ourselves, for the man, and for us as a couple. And that necessitates, of course, insight into what we are doing. When you think about this relationship of Rachel and Brad, one great thing here is that it sounds like Brad is grounded in himself in a way that facilitates an ease of the issues that Rachel presents to him. In other words, think about this if Brad were to be triggered in a way not unlike the way that Rachel is triggered by things not having anything to do with him, you can imagine what might happen. So with that great illustration she gave us of he's running 10 minutes late, he calls and says, I'm going to be 10 minutes late, and she says, immediately being triggered to her five-year-old self, forget it. Well, what if he had some kind of issue that might not at all be like hers, but certainly be like uh, the issue we're talking about of being triggered at all, and he were to lash out, get angry, hang up the phone, whatever he might do, how might that affect their relationship? Well, of course, we know it would affect it in a really big way. And here, two people who love each other have the best of intentions. Wow. So in working with a woman in this way, vis-a-vis the relationship, we get to two new places. One, with ourselves. Secondly, with the relationship. If we go to that example of Brad being triggered and imagine what could occur, well, Rachel would need to fix that in a way, and she likely does anyway, but because he's not triggered, she's uh, able to handle this on her own. But if Brad were to be triggered, and have all manner of issues coming from that, I would be working with her in a way to go back and straighten things out in a way that she would still have her value, that it would not be needy, and it would also be dealing vis-a-vis Brad's issue. That would take some delving into to discover what is the best way to deal with that so this relationship can grow to its greatest level, that Brad could grow, and that she would as well. So the two would be growing as a couple. You see, this is high-level mechanics of a relationship, and it always starts with us as females to do this because it's not 
the normative baseline knowledge, understanding, or desire of the male to be the mechanic of a relationship, he is best suited and it feels best to him to be the mechanic of a real car, whereby we don't want to be the mechanic of a real car. And if you are having these issues in any relationship, it's going to necessitate that you discover something that you might not be able to see, the forest for the trees. And we work in a way that gets to the issue of the trees so that you can see the beauty of the forest. And then you can always make the decision because the decision really now beautifully rests with Rachel. He's there. He's all in. And he's made the decision. So it's really now in this wonderful place of her. If she wants this, great. It's there. And isn't that the most wonderful place for any woman to be? It truly is. And that's where I come in vis-a-vis my programs, vis-a-vis the individual weekly coaching that we do to really facilitate a fast-tracking of this to get you what you desire and deserve. So if you're struggling in any way like that, I hope you will reach out to me vis-a-vis Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. There's so many ways. You can contact me at coachpaulagrooms.com. You can contact my assistant, Michelle, at coachpaulagrooms.com. That's Michelle with two L's. And or get my book if you haven't. In the book, you will see how you can contact me because I give everyone who's read my book a complimentary destiny detailing call to go through what it is that might be your trees in the forest. It could be as complicated as not getting to the insight we quickly got to with Rachel, or it could be something as simple as not remembering to make him wonder. If you've benefited from today's conversation, please subscribe and share. Connect with Coach Paula at MakeHimWonder.com. There you can take several relationship evaluations, discover her books and other resources, and find out if one of her personalized coaching programs might be right for you.